The New Activist is presented by International Justice Mission, who remains deeply committed to the work of justice for the oppressed. To find out more about the work of IJM or to follow them on social, head to IJM.org. Well, this is The New Activist, a show that features conversations with activists and leaders who are tackling some of the world's biggest humanitarian issues from the front lines of injustice. My name is Eddie Koffeltz, and it is a privilege to be with you today as we welcome back to the show my friend, Latasha Morrison. Latasha is the founder and president of Be The Bridge. You may remember, uh, we had her on a few years ago. She was kind enough to come on in, I think, 2017, and we just re-released that original conversation, so you can go back, listen to that, hear more about the origin story of Be The Bridge. But in short, it is an organization that encourages racial reconciliation among all ethnicities, and they work to promote racial unity in America and to equip others to do the same. As you may have guessed, this is a conversation that is very salient to the moment that we are in right now. Over the coming weeks, in fact, we are going to be focusing all of this show's energy on the unprecedented activism activity that is resulting from the deaths and injustices both that are in the news now and that have been happening for centuries. And so today, with her permission, I'm going to dig deep with Latasha and ask some hard questions. And I really, just as a personal note, appreciate her for allowing us to do this because she has made her life's work about answering these hard questions and also compelling us to go and do the hard, necessary work of learning more and figuring out how to be effective activists. So for her being on the show this week, it is just a perfect start to the conversation that we're going to be exploring together over the coming weeks. Here is Latasha Morrison. First of all, we got to start with the, there's a lot of news of the day, but if it's all right, there was some really exciting news of today. And that is that your book that we love, Be the Bridge, is on the New York Times bestseller list. And I'm not telling you this like you don't know. Like, <laughs> certainly you. How is that? I mean, what does that mean to you? What does it say to you? And how on earth do you process a moment like f- finding that out? I mean, I I think I was in shock. Everything, I'm still even pinching myself that I have a book that's like in the store that's <laughs> on the internet. Like, So I'm still, right. even though that it launched back in October, it's still surreal for me. Like to say that you have words that like are on this earth that will remain here. You know what I'm saying? It's like the do, impact yeah. of that, like the weight of that is very important, especially why I wanted to write the book to be a tool and the cornerstone for our organization and to be a tool and a resource for people and for churches and for communities. Mm-hmm. Um, that the weight of that, I think is like, whew, okay, yeah. at, at least these words are here. Yeah. And I think everything else has been an added bonus. So yeah. making, becoming um, back here this fall, a best-selling author with some of the lists we hit. Yes. Um, and then now, I, so after that, that was okay, like, great. This is just a cherry on top, you know, and yeah. and thinking. And then when all of this started happening, 
hey, we knew that we wanted a book for such a time as this, Mm. but we didn't know that this would happen in 2020. You know, we were trying to like, you know, everybody's we're focused on COVID. COVID, We still are. We're in the midst of a pandemic still. Um, But it's still like, you know, thinking like, okay, when these things start happening, you never know what is going to take hold. But, But with the combination of the pandemic, everybody being home, you know, families, you know, students out of school and all of these things start happening as it relates to racial injustice in this world. It started revealing and uncovering and people were able to see because there was not a lot, there's not a lot competing with attention. Yes. And it was almost sadly a perfect storm. And, you know, you want some you know, I sometimes I hate saying this, but like some beauty from ashes, you know, yes. I'll say it that way. No, it's right. You know, and, 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 and to think that, you know, these deaths are not going to be in vain. You, we're going to make right. sure they're not in vain because we're going to hold you to the words of Black Lives Matter. We're going to hold right. you to the words of, you know, uh, racial justice. We're going to hold you to what you're saying. And so, because there's been a revealing now, so we're in a really monumentous time here in America, you know? Yeah. It's also like weird because when I think of the the beauty from ashes, part of me is like, well, I wish you would have never had to write the book in the first place. I wish you would have never had to start Be the Bridge. I wish we were all just reconciled and as we could be. But so it's like, well, if you're going to write it and you're going to put your work out there, it's, it is exciting that people are reading it. And then also it just propels uh, be the bridge, which by the way, the last time we got to interview on activist, I feel like you're being, in, I'm on an interview with you every 45 minutes at this point between Annie's show or, but yeah. the last time we actually talked on activist, it was just soon after if gathering, you had just launched be the bridge. It was pre Facebook and all of that. And yeah. you've just, you and be the bridge have skyrocketed. Can you kind uh-huh. of tell us about the last couple of years and what that just the trajectory has, has wow. meant for you? Yeah, I think this is one of those things where it's like God knew. And I'm hmm. not trying to sound super spiritual in that sense, yeah. but it's like sometimes we don't understand the plans that God has. You know what yeah. I'm saying? And we're, you know, but I think one of the key things is like, I'm so grateful and that I surrendered. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. surrendered even without having some of the questions and some of the doubts answered. Right. And one of the things I committed to is and when I started Be the Bridge. It's like, this is overwhelming. And at the time I was working a full-time job at a church, you know, in Austin. And so, um, but I had such great leaders that, you know, they supported the work that I was doing. So, which was incredible. But um, I think for me, it was kind of like, I'm going to do just so that I can sustain myself. I'm going to do the things that I can do and the things I can't do. I can't worry about those things. Right. And I'm going to do the next right thing. So the next thing that I know to do, that's what I'm going to do. So I took it one step at a time, one day at a time. But knowing that I felt compelled, like this is needed. We have to equip the body. And I know it's like one of those holy discontent things that I had back in 2012, where mm. it was like, it started there where no, typically when we, something bothers us, you know, sometimes it'll go away and, you know, we'll override it or we'll just be disobedient and don't flow into what God is really calling us to do. And this was hard. And I didn't want to face this because who mm. wants to do this work? Who signs up for this? Like, you know what I'm saying? It, it's, it's more comfortable to live in a bubble. 
Yes. You know? Yeah. And so I signed up for this and I sacrificed for this. I mean, I left my job without having another job. I left my job without having a salary and not knowing like when one was going to come, but trusting wow. and just things would fall into place. And I'm going to tell you, I've never gone without, a, you know, a need met in some way. And and whether it was, you know, someone said, Hey, I'm going to contract you for this next year to help my company with this and my speaking and different things like that. And so, yeah, people who have not heard the first uh-huh. time we got to, to talk, we should go back and listen to it. We just re-released it a couple weeks ago. And in that we talk all about be the bridge and, and really kind of the, at the heart of it is teaching on racial healing and, and equity and reconciliation. And to that end, the the reason I wanted to kick off this series with you is because I feel like there's just a lot of questions right now that people are asking, and sometimes they don't know who to ask it to. <laughs> and um, I was wondering, like, can I use some of this time just to f- ask you some of the questions that that I keep seeing? Um, because this is kind of what Be the Bridge is about. It's a place for us to to learn. Is it okay if I kind of go down that road? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, so the first thing is that the murders of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and Ahmaud Arbery, as well as uh, the tragically long list of names that is really uh-huh. centuries old of individuals who have been killed, whose names we know and don't know. Um, this has been happening for a long time, uh, right. which is a tragic reality. Yet, in my view of things, and please correct this if I'm wrong, something about the response is different now. One, do you see that? Is that accurate? And two, why why now? What has happened? Yeah, I think, you know, I think a combination between people are paying attention. Mm-hmm. Um, I think because we've been on timeout, we were in pause. The whole entire world was in pause mm. and we saw video. Oh, and yeah. I think, you know, we saw video and it was clearly in all of these case cases yeah. unjustified, you know, and I think. You know, especially I have not watched the video of uh, Mr. Floyd. I don't plan to watch that video at all. Hmm. Um, but why is that? I'm sorry to interrupt. Yeah, it's yeah. the trauma. I mean, yeah. because you can have secondary trauma and, you know, yeah. impact. And, um, and, you know, I think just the, uh, the, seeing the Ahmad mistakenly. Yeah. You know, I have a I have a brother that's around that age. Yeah. You know, he jogs in his neighborhood. You yeah. know what I'm saying? My brother's yeah. tw- you know what I'm saying? Like that is so real. Like we're such a collective group. Mm. When we see that you see, you know, you're my I see my cousin Anthony. You know what I'm saying? Like right. and so I think um it's just painful. And I think what it is, I I, I really feel like it's just it was just the timing of everything. And it's just um, because we saw that with Walter Scott, we saw a police on video shoot Walter Scott in his back. Right. And the whole issue with that was he was pulled over because he had um, a broken taillight. Mm-hmm. And the only reason why I guess he was running because it maybe he, he owed some bad child support or something. I mean, right. it was something that was minor. Right, right, right. This man lost his life over that. Right. And over the fear of being in the system. 
Right. And so even that is just that we didn't pay attention. There, there was no change that came from that, you know? And I think it's just right now, I'm just going to be honest. I feel like it's God's grace. This is an opportunity. There's a reckoning, you know? And we, I think we, there's a choice that is before us right now. That if we return like none of this happened, I don't, we're not going to be able to return like none of this happened because people are going to be in these streets. Yeah, yeah. Because it makes no sense, like, um, f- f- for this to continuous ha- continuously happen, yeah. and we not attach this to racial bias, that we not attach to this to systemic racism when we see who it is only happening to, yeah, disproportionately. You know, and so we, you know, so I think right now, I think there is a grace for us to see um, that we've never, you know, we don't see this happening to any other people groups, you Mm -hmm. know, like this, you know. Um, And so I think it's it's for us to look at the ugly and say, what needs to change? Why? What about our systems that are that are not restorative? Mm -hmm. Why do we throw people away? Why do we throw kids away? Yeah. You know, why do we discharge kids if they mess up when they're 16, when their frontal lobe is not even developed completely, but if they make a mistake, their whole life is over. Right. You know, why do we have a system that people make money off of putting people in jail? Yeah. When we've had a history of that that was that caused the civil war. Like why why is this system where you know, um, you know, juvenile detention centers are privately owned and you get paid for beds. Like right. when we start thinking about how unjust this breeds injustice because it's, it's the foundation of it is greed. We have to look at that. And as Christians, I can't hold the world to some of these systems, but the Christians intersect and support these systems. So I can hold Christians responsible and accountable for this when we're not acting justly, yeah. when we're not walking humbly, you know? And so I think this is this is awakening for us to see the thread of justice from Genesis to Revelation and to really look at other systems and other countries and how they do it. Like, even if you look at the justice system in Israel, it's totally different system. In, Ju- in Germany, there's a totally different justice system because of the Holocaust. Their atrocity and them owning the pain of their past, them repenting or, or confessing the pain of their past, they have instituted a new system. We've never done that. We have the same systems that have been running. And the only thing we've tried to do is oil it, shift up the gears, but it's still the same motor. Right, right. And we need a we need an overhaul. And we've never had an overhaul. Yeah, and I think the realization of that is happening. I mean, you see just anecdotally people reading like the new Jim Crow for the first time yes, or equal yes. justice initiative and seeing that like- That is hopeful. That makes right? me hopeful because everything we say is start by learning and unlearning. Right. Stop by learning because we know our system doesn't teach this. So if you can begin to engage and start learning, when you look at the top books yeah. on the New York Times right. list- right. The top books are all racial justice books, anti-racism books, right. anti-racism books, racial healing books. Like 
That's what I'm talking about. And so right. that right there gives me hope. It makes me smile. Right. It's as if the country collectively, and, and I think more fairly, a lot of the white part of people in the country have collectively yes. gone like, wait, what? And are yes. going back and, re- yes. and are catching up with uh-huh. the reason that this is more than an, an isolated you know, bad group of police officers exactly. and a man in Minnesota. This is yeah. a systemic issue. I, I do want to talk about... Yeah, Part of this whole waking up and the response to this, there's been a couple of, I don't want to call them like hot topics, but places where I feel like I hear and see disagreement, even amongst people that aren't extreme, right? Like people in the meaty middle who are like, I don't understand this. Um, One of them is the effectiveness of marching and protesting. Yeah. This, Mm -hmm. This used to be the actions really of the most incredibly woke. And now it seems like people's like yeah. people's uncles out there protesting and they're <laughs> yeah. like wow because they don't know what to do right. so it's like right i don't know what to do so i'm gonna do what everybody else is doing right yeah. so okay that's the question so wh- is is that okay is it a, what's it accomplishing is it i think it's yeah. an action item because i think yeah. people want to do some action so there yeah i think it's one of those things showing up showing support if you're going there to show support and and you know pray for people, talk to people, especially people. If you have a background in counseling mm-hmm. and you can just allow people to you know talk to you and you just listen, mm. you bring water, you know that you bring some 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 refreshments, you know that you bring you know maybe some you know whatever like just your presence sometimes mm. with a smile is 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 enough. It doesn't mean you have to have all the answers, right? You know you don't know what to do, but I think to show up and to listen and to be a part that is something that you can learn from and you can take that into your study and how you're reading because you may meet someone you may come across an organization that's doing some work that you, that you can engage with and learn more about um so i i don't think that it is wrong but you don't want your words to be empty you don't want to go march and hold a black lives matter flag and you haven't dealt with the mess in your own front yard and Mm. are in your own heart. Mm. Like you don't want to do that. You don't want it to just be semantics. You don't want it just to be words, you know, and you do it and not really beginning to undo some of the maybe damage. Maybe you've, you've had, maybe you have not treated your neighbors that are black, like their lives matter, (laughs) you know? And so how how do I start even in my neighborhood? Maybe in your neighborhood, you show the people of color some love, bake some cookies or, you know, um, do something kind, you know, um, even anonymously say, Hey, um, I apologize for da 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 da. Put it in their mailbox. Yes, you know what I'm saying? Yes. Do some things like that. There are tangible things that you can do. Do some notes, you know, in in the car. Like if there's a mom that needs someone to to sit with her kids, like there's a lot that you can do. But start in your community. You know, start even in your church, in your neighborhood, in your life. You know, yeah. maybe there's family members who have been doing this work and trying to get you to do it, and you've been like giving them the the, the hand. Right, you know, right. um, apologize to those people. So we have to realize that healing also a part of healing is that of confession, that of uh, turning away from the things that we were doing wrong. And so we can't go hold a flag. You know, we can't go. You know, Black Lives Matter, and then really those lives are not how do they matter how are you demonstrating that they matter 
And that's what I would say to even a lot of the brands that are making statements that are saying that, like, what, how is this going to be a part of the value of your organization? What are you, how is this going to represent, um, I want to see it on your corporate responsibility where we can hold you accountable. You know what I'm saying? How is this going to be reflective in your institution? You know what I'm saying? How are you going to pay an organization, a black led organization or a person of color, like to an organization that's led by someone that, that can come into your organization and do an assessment, do an audit to see these are some things that you need to improve. This is where you need to go. Not waiting till something happens where you get embarrassed, but how are you going to be proactive in this work? Oh, we got a whole list of things that we can tell people yes, yes. on what to do. But I think the marching is good, you know, even being able to say it because just a few years ago, people were angry when we would say Black Lives Matter. Like right. it took away something right. from some other groups. But that shows you if you have a problem with saying that, there's something wrong. There's something there that you need to explore that if you can't say that, because guess what? Jesus says that Black Lives Matter, mm. you know? And of course, it doesn't negate that all lives matter. You know, yes, we understand that. But the thing is right now in our history, our in our country, it has been in and globally, it has been demonstrated that we have not uplifted black lives like we should. Mm. We have receipts and facts and dem- and data to back that out, yeah. back that up. Yes. And so it's very important for us to understand that, that saying that you're saying this to a group of people that have been marginalized, that have been oppressed, you know, sanctioned by the government in many cases. And so for us to just say black lives matter, I mean, because Jesus did it several times when he said Samaritan's lives matter. Yeah. Yes. Which was an ethnic yes. group. Right. Thank you. Uh, the the other another piece of this is on the days the immediate days following uh, Mr. Floyd's murder, there was uh, looting and violence uh, uh-huh. by a lot of people by uh, yes. like a lot of races. Like this is it sure was right. But there was a general <laughs> tinderbox that had been lit of of anger, and so much of the rhetoric online is like I get the anger, I get the uh, you know I get that the police were wrong, but don't destroy your own neighborhood. And something always struck me. Like I have the theory about it, but I'm not here to you don't. I'm not teaching you. You're you're here to teach me. But like, <laughs> there's something in that 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 the looting and the violence is is we've seen it a lot. We saw it with yeah. with Rodney King, it's a response. Can you help us understand the response yeah. in a way that's not just like oh, bad people making bad decisions? There's more to it, isn't there? Yeah, you have to realize that looting and rioting. That's something that that's the American way. Like you know what I'm saying. Like so, we have to remember that that's not something that we've just done um, as it relates to racial injustice, but we have to think, you know, like this country started in protests, you know, Mm. and this, you know, very violently. And so um, you have to look at like, there's a lot of study on this. We have to look at the psychological factors behind this behavior. Mm. So when you have people who have their, their life, their community, there's hopelessness, hopelessness breeds lawlessness. And people are angry because you had people watch the life be drained out of someone before their eyes. People are screaming, telling them, please get off his net. Like this man is crying out and no one. I mean, you have four officers that are supposed to protect and serve. They are guardians, not warriors. Right. 
police officers should be guardians, not warriors. And, and I'm saying this as a person whose uncle is a police chief. And guess what? He would tell you the same thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and so you, we saw that. So the trauma impact, like the little girl that recorded that, the 17-year-old child that recorded that can barely speak now. Oh, dear girl. She is traumatized. And so when you see that and you've seen, you've been inundated with this for the last, I mean, there's been incidents hmm. every year. And this is not what people also, people are experiencing this in their neighborhoods and their communities where it's not taped. People are experiencing them themselves and it's not taped. It doesn't matter your education background. It doesn't matter your, your dress well. Right. I mean, I have friends with doctorate degrees that have had run-ins because you can run into the wrong person. It only takes, I don't care if there's 50 cops that are great. If you have five that are not in a, in a, in a thing, you think about that, that five right there, it doesn't just become those are bad apples. But bad apples can spoil the entire crop. Right. And I want to talk, we're going to get in, I really do want to get into the police but a lot, but there's the moment. The of, psychological, yeah, 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 yeah the yeah, psychological yeah. part. When we say um, urban riots, I, I think that Martin Luther King said it really good. The looting um, a lot of times is a is, is social protest. Yeah. And it's basically, it is a way of enraging um um, the white consumer, and this is like from psychological story stories that Martin Luther King said this in his um, statement in his speech to the American Psychological Association, hmm. um, and he he said the experience um, of taking um, is not that you even want it, but most of all alienated from society and knowing that society cherishes property above people, he is shocking it by abusing properly property rights. Um, there are thus elements of emotional um, um, things that people get from the looting and the violence. So what I was telling people is to look up under that. First of all, you have a couple people. You have when you start talking about um, um, the mad leading the mad. Um, people wanted to harm and do harm because they are so angry that they wanted to take something that people have cherished and valued and crush it. Mm. because they've seen their lives crushed. It doesn't make it right. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But you have to understand the pain and the psychology behind it. Right. And I think that's important. But my thing is, we're so upset about that violence, but we become so enamored with that type of violence that we're not as upset with the violence that have been put on these communities. Right. And so that even makes the communities, you know, even more angry that, you know, this has been happening for centuries and you care about this target more than you care about me. Right, right. It's it's almost like that's the only way to hit back at capitalism. Yes. The same capitalism that, I mean, it's yeah. not overstepping. It's, it's like the same capitalism that somehow justified the original sin of slavery, right? Like yes, it's, as, yeah. I mean, yeah. I don't want to put words in anyone's mouth, yeah. but like, it feels like that it, Am I hearing that right? Yeah, it's an opportunity. Sometimes it's an opportunity to get what I, I things that I need, but it's also an opportunity to even turn those things in and sell them. Yeah. You yeah. know? So it's like, and so it's, 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 it's wrong, 
But we have to understand the psychology behind that. And then we have to ask ourselves, why do we value property more than we value people? Yeah. And why was that such? I mean, because first of all, all the peaceful protests. And and then the other thing, have you have you seen that happen again since they arrested the people? Right. It hasn't happened anymore. Right, right. right. That was a cry. That was anger. And the same thing is boiling for Breonna Taylor. Right. So it's just, you know, this, you know, for like, there's no justice. Like you're talking about even with Ahmad. Right. That incident happened in February. Right. Right. The police had the video. Right. It wasn't until it was made public in the public outcry. Yeah. That it took several days for even something to be done. You had that. And then, you know what I'm saying? On top of this, it was at a boiling point. And so you have to realize I can go back through and name so many riots. And I did this actually on an Instagram live that I did. I named so many riots and massacres that have happened to Black people in this country that we don't learn about. The Rosewood Massacre, the East Missouri Massacre, the um, Tulsa, um, Oklahoma Massacre. Um, And I like to call a massacre because the reason why, especially during those times, they called it a riot because they wanted to place blame on both sides so that there would be no restitution paid. And so so they would name it a riot rather than a massacre. But the people that died, the people that were arrested were all black. Right. It was a massacre. It was that. Name it. Yeah. And it was that. It was that. And so that's important for us to to know. And I, I mean, if you I mean, you can even look this up, this information up in scholarly documents and see how many communities of color that if they had some success, there was jealousy. And if it competed, even if it didn't compete with the white community, how a lot of times their stores or their homes were burnt down, their cars were destroyed um, just because of jealousy. Ida B. Wells had to rebuild her publication um, three times. You know, my uncle had to rebuild his store in Greensville, North Carolina twice because of he was competing with another grocery store. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? So it's like yeah. you you have to realize, like, even when we talk about the wealth gap, there's been things that have been done in our society, in our country that have placed, I mean, where the foot has literally been on the neck um, to prevent it. And at some point, at some point, mentally, you know, it makes a community unstable. Oh, yeah. You know, it makes a community angry. It makes a community mad. It traumatizes. And, and, you know, we have scientific evidence that says that trauma is generational. You know, I can look at things in my mom's life that I know is a result of her relationship with her father. I can look at things in my grandfather's life that I know is a result of, you know, his dad. Um, I knew my great grandfather. I mean, he was he was around when I was born. My great grandmother. I can look at things that happen in their life as as I as I've learned that like directly affected the way they parented, the way they socialized, all these things. Yes. Like it matters. History matters. Yeah. History gives an account and it allows us to see. And so I will I would beckon us to see and really study about historically in America how as white people have looted. And how white people have also rioted Hmm. and not for us to be on this, this high horse and looking down that, you know, that in in dehumanizing people that are in pain, you know, that have been in pain generationally. It's, 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 it's an opportunity for us to look 
and say and empathize and you say, well, they were breaking the law. Think about how many things that we've done where people that they break the law and it causes more damage and harm and hurt to more people, way more people. You think about some of the white collar crimes that happen in this country. You think about the, the, you know, the recession that happened. And all of that, those were major crimes that impacted millions of people. People lost their savings because of the, this. And yet and still they get a pat on the the hand yeah. and we even roll back. You know what I'm saying? Think about how we look at these things that impact, that, 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 that really create, I mean, like generational harm in families and we just turn away. And that yet and still someone took you know, some, 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 some beers out of a liquor store and we're having a baby, you know, over it. Right. I want to get to the, I want to talk about the police a bit because you, you started to talk about that and then we continued on. (laughs) No, don't be sorry. I, I, but I think there's like a, because like right now in the recording of this conversation, there is a, the, the, I think the day, the debate of the day or the conversation of the day has really been about the there's a spectrum of thought about how we should be responding to the police, not the police specifically, but like the overall idea of a police force. People from saying from everything on the spectrum from like, they're fine, let's keep going, to completely defund the police, no more police, to people that are in the middle that are saying some measure of there needs to be massive reform. Um, And then there's about a thousand other perspectives floating throughout it. But it's definitely a big conversation about what is the role of police in a civilized, just and uh, and and reconciled society. And so from you, I'm curious, uh, because you did share a little bit about your family. How have you come to what would your dream and hope be for what is the future of the police force in America? Yeah, I would like to see. um, um some of the the criminalization of black bodies um, for that to decease and for there to be fair and just treatment. There are some things that the police handle that they should not handle. They're not equipped to handle. Mm. And that is not just for the community's safety, but that's also for their safety also, you know? Mm. And um, so there's some layers that I feel like we need to have this conversation because we never had it before. Yes. You know, we've had a lot of history. Think about our history and the fact that we've never had this conversation. You see, we create amendments and acts, but we never put policy behind it to support it. Mm. You know, and then if we do, people, it gets lost and people don't realize that, okay, the very thing you said you support it. Now you're voting against it, yes, yes, yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. um, because it's like we change the wording and how we do stuff to make it more palatable, you know, and, and you know, 10 years later, you know. Yes. And so I think when we, these are conversations that we need to have. I think we need to come to the table, but we, we cannot leave that table without some change. We cannot continue on. We cannot continue with what we're seeing now. We cannot uh, continue with police not having accountability. We cannot continue with DAs having these special relationships that they're supposed to investigate, you know, and charge. And they can't have these special, um, these special relationships that impede that, you know, there's some things that have to change. We need some independent reviewers of this. You know, even if you talk to the black police um, unions and the organizations within um, 
of the police force, they are a lot of them are agreeing with it. They talk, they agree with the racial bias. Mm. You know, they, so when you talk to a lot of black police office leaders, chief of police, their response is different. Right, <laughs> you right. know what I'm saying? Yes. When I talk to my uncle, my uncle will tell you I had to fire five police officers because of their racism. Hmm. And I knew if they were doing it within here, and he's the one that told me about you can have 50 officers, but if five are rotten, you're right. <laughs> it impacts the entire system. You know, when we look at this system, if we the, the police report just came out of what was reported for Breonna Taylor. Right. And if you look at that, that was a system. There were several people who signed off on that. Right. There was cancer the, throughout that police. There right. is cancer. And that's what I'm saying. That, yeah. And the same thing with George Floyd. Look at that. If we would have never seen the video, Walter Scott, if we would have never seen the video, Ahmaud Aubrey, if we would have never seen the video. Sandra Bland, there's a lot of questions about that. And I mean, we can go on and on, you know, naming case after case after case yeah. after case. And so, um, you know, there is a systemic issue. It's not about individuals. And it, it doesn't make, listen, this is the thing. You have to understand that when we start talking about non-racist and racist and good people and not good people and kind people, all that, that has nothing to do with systemic racism. We understand that. We understand, that, you know, as a parent, you're you may be a great parent, but you may make some mistakes and you may call you may be doing a lot of damage. But a few of the things that you're doing that's impact that's going to impact your, your your child for the long haul. Yeah. And wouldn't you want to know what are some of those things that you can do to improve so that you're creating a, a, a better culture that your child is being raised in a better home environment for those reasons. And I say, you know, just like looking at this from a natural standpoint, but I just feel like we have to have the conversation, Yes, you know, and there's, so, there's people have been, listen, people have been researching this for centuries. Right. People have dedicated their life. There are people with professional degrees that can speak to this. Like there are doctors, there are lawyers, there are professional people, but we want to turn our ear to people that don't have any experience in this, don't even have the qualifications to be able to speak to it. But because they're saying something that we want to hear, we're going to turn our ears there because it's easier. But you have people who have invested some of their life. I mean, the new Jim Crow, the book. I mean, read the book. Right, right. <laughs> you know, um, Dominique Gilliard, his book, Rethinking Incarceration. Right. Some of the answers are there. Just Mercy, Brian Stevenson work, Stevenson's right. work, EJI, the Equal Justice Initiative. There are people with plans. Yeah. Campaign Zero. Eight can't wait. Yeah. <laughs> you know well, what I'm and even if you get, if, you, if you're not a reader, I mean, just 13th on yes, Netflix. Yes. Right. Yes. Like, I mean, there, this, the, this information is readily available. It's readily available. But the thing is, do we want to listen? And I, yeah, I'm not saying I don't have the answer. Yeah. You know, I don't have the answer for this, but I do know that the way we're doing it is not the answer. Yeah. And I do know that there's things that people are going to jail for that should not be criminalized away. When we, we don't have a blanket, you know, if you, you may do something in Virginia and get a, one sentence, but in Texas it's a totally different sentence. And it also um, um, depends on the judge. You know, there was a man that was given 24, 25 years because he robbed a store and he got $9. Yeah. 
You know what I'm saying? Yeah. When we talk about stuff like that. And then he did that when he was young and he was on drugs. But 25 years, people are given life for minor things, for stealing meat because the three strikes you're out rule. You know right, what I'm saying? Right. It, there's some things where we need to restore people. And then when people get out of jail, we still treat them like criminals. They're still not considered full citizens of the United States they can't in the vote. Sense where they can't even vote. Right now, right. Like, why are they still being punishment? And this is happening in my family. I have a cousin that was in college and she got caught up with the wrong guy. And, you know, he, he had some drugs that it was some stuff happened. She had to spend, this is a college student. She went to jail for three years. And this is when she was like 19 right, years old. Right, like mid-war on drugs. Yes. When it was mi- minimum standards. Exactly. Right, yeah. She is in her 40s now. She is a dental hygienist. She has two kids. Her daughter is about to graduate and she still can't vote. Now, I mean, like, like right. never committed another crime, never been right. in any other trouble. <laughs> and cannot have a say in the democracy that she functions in. And cannot vote. She can buy a house. Right. She, she's bought a car and all these things, but can't vote. Like, that, something is wrong with that system, America. Yeah. Um, Latasha, I want to be good with, with your time. And I, I have, know you getting me started. No, no, you got no, no, me no, started, no. It, Eddie. It's not that you at got all. Me but, started. but my next question, I realized I'm like, no, this is a nine hour question and we need to just go <laughs> read your book. Um, exactly. true, but I mean, truly like, right. Yeah. Like, yeah. The information yeah. is out there. And so I guess I just want to end the interview with this, which is, yeah. um, as of today, there are more uh-huh. and more people than ever saying, what can I do? Like, what, yes. what can I do to be helpful? And thank God. Right. Like it's not just the woke. I mean, it is it is seeping into the general population of people who a year ago would have never uttered Black Lives Matter and are now saying, oh, I got to help. I'm go- OK. I'm going to watch this documentary. I'm going to read this book. What can I do? And so I, I think the question is a broad one. But for people who are waking up to this and this is a cultural psychological awakening for them right now. Um, what would you encourage them to take as their next steps? Even, I'm, and honestly, people just hearing you in this interview are going to have their hair blown back and go like, what yeah. What do I do right now? Give me a place to put my energy. What would you, uh, what would you offer to them? I would say um, if you listen to the voices that have a body of work in this work, yeah. you know, yeah. Listen to those voices. Learn from them. Yeah. Um, read the books. I'm go- and I know it, it sounds like, oh, we can we do more than read? No, I need you to read the books. You got to read the books. Yeah. I need you to watch the movies, yes. but watch the movies that speak to this, not movies that make you feel good. Right. <laughs> you know. Right. Right. Um, right. That really speak to this in a in a way um, <laughs> that make you feel good. Don't watch yes. Green Book. Nobody yes. needs you watching that movie. You know, yeah. are are the help. Oh, Latasha. You know, I'm sorry I had to say no, that, but I, you know, I, no, I know. But I know. you really need to watch some of the things that we we've talked about. Go watch Just Mercy. It, it's free streaming in June on all the platforms. Go watch that. And the list is on Be the Bridge. It's yeah, all there. Yeah. Like, it's all the there. Whole, it's yeah. all there. We have a lot of things where people can start, but just start there. But I want you to listen to voices. Like I know I said a lot, and a lot of this conflicts with some people's belief systems and their ideologies. But we have to look at what have we made idols. I'm talking about the just way. Mm. I'm talking about the 
um, the the king, the system of God, you know what I'm saying? Which is different from our systems. Yes. And what is just in this? Like, think about this. If our ultimate goal is that that all flourish, not just some, hmm. you know, what are some things that are hindering all from flourishing and why? Yes. And how might we move forward in a more just society where all flourish? Hmm. Ask yourself that question. Is this going to make it, is this good for my family? And you're thinking like, if it's only good for your family and for people who look like you, mm. then it's not good. How is, how is this good for everyone? How does this benefit everyone? And we have to start thinking like that. We have to think like a collective because we are collective. If we are connected, do we just say it or do we really believe it? Is it just words? Mm. You know, do we really believe that if one part of the body suffers, you know, right. we all suffer with it? Do we really believe, you know, you know, injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere? But do we live it? Or is it abiding in us? Mm. Are we embodying that? And that's what I would challenge you to do. Mm. You know, there's a lot of things that I could benefit from. But if my community doesn't benefit from it, then I don't benefit from it. And that's what that's what kingdom mindset is about. That's what kingdom agenda is about when we start thinking about who we represent and what we represent. And so that's what I would say for people is to lean into this conversation. Listen to those practitioners and educators who have been doing the work in this for years, for decades, for centuries. Listen to the body of work. Assume that you you don't know that you are wrong. Come into the conversation assuming that you're wrong. That takes a lot of humility. And if you're if you're listening now and you're fighting back with that, then there's a pride issue there. Yeah. Assume that you're wrong and commit to learning and unlearning. Commit to empathizing, lamenting, having deep sorrow. We didn't break it. It's not our fault, but it is our responsibility as a community of believers, hmm. to be repairers of it and to come up with solutions. We don't get to sit this one out. We need to be in the game. And if you choose to sit this out, your story would not be that I didn't know. Your story would be that I knew I didn't listen. And so what side of history are you going to be on? People of color in this country, we have, a, we have credibility. We have receipts. We have historical receipts. Everything that was done to us in this country that we look back as an atrocity now was legal at some point. Hmm. Slavery was legal. Hmm. Jim Crow was legal. Right. Terrorizing Black communities and Black children was legal. Blowing up churches at some point, people got away with it. You know, separate but equal was never equal, but it was legal. Right. Redlining was legal. So we have to realize that now that we look back at those things and we see the injustice in those, but Black people always said that they were unjust. Genocide against the, right. the natives was legal. Hmm. Breaking treaties was legal. Right. But we look back and we say, wow, that was, that was evil. That wasn't, that wasn't good. We've always been right. We have receipts. We have historical receipts. So I will beckon you to listen to the mass majority of people of color that are crying out right now, that have created resources and tools and 
um, and ideas and think takes to, to show us the way. Don't try to clamor to a few minority voices that are making you feel good and stroking your ego. Right. That's, you know, I would say, please don't miss this. Please don't miss this. Please do not continue a legacy of stiff neckness and hard heartedness. Mm. Be a part of the solution because granted, God has always, listen, Jesus always used a remedy. The very people that should have known and recognized Jesus were so caught up in the law that they could not even see the salvation. Friends, Latasha Morrison, there's a lot to respond to, and I'm not going to try to put voice to our collective thoughts, but I will say this, as we think about what she urged us to do now, that is to learn, I would implore you to go to bethebridge.com and start learning. There are a ton of products there. There are lists there. It is designed to be a resource for us in this journey. They can also only do this work because people keep showing up and because people are being generous. So please fully engage with Be The Bridge and make sure to thank Latasha on social. Make sure to give to Be The Bridge. Make sure to buy products, shirts, all of that good stuff and support the work that they are doing. Another way you can support The New Activist is by rating and reviewing the show. We really want people to find these conversations and the best way that they can do that is by you heading over to the Apple Podcasts area, giving us your five stars and your encouraging words and even guest suggestions. We can't reply on Apple Podcasts, which is kind of a bummer, but we read every single one of them and would love to know who you think could be great future guests. Thank you. Also, The New Activist is on social and we have a website, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all of them are New Activist Is, one word, and the website is newactivist.is. A big thanks to Propaganda, who scored today's episode, his music, merch, coffee merchandise, by the way. All of that can be found at prophiphop.com or on his Twitter, prophiphop. And with that, we go back into the world. On behalf of Latasha Morrison and the Be The Bridge team, as well as my colleagues at International Justice Mission, I am Eddie Koffeltz. Take care, friends.